Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce cost and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. A note for our listeners. September is One Strange Things Anniversary Month. Our patrons voted to select our episode topic for our anniversary episode on September 19th. You'll be hearing about that soon enough. But this topic was the runner-up, and it was a close vote. So we thought we'd bring you both. We hope that you enjoy this little tale, too. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. Now, it was only last month that we brought you a lake creature, one that reportedly lives in Flathead Lake in Montana. Today, we're taking you to a spot clear across the country, But, per its official website, it's the sixth largest lake in the United States. And it got to be one of the Great Lakes. For 18 whole days. Apparently, back in 1998, President Bill Clinton, quote, signed a bill on March 6 to make this certain body of water one of the Great Lakes. But, according to its official website, quote, that bill was rescinded on March 24th. 18 days later. That was, apparently, at the behest of the residents who lived nearby. They didn't want their lake to be part of any collection. Apparently, they thought that it should stand alone. And maybe once you learn about Lake Champlain and all its lore, you'll agree with them. It certainly has a storied history. It might not be one of the Great Lakes, not anymore, but it's rumored to have a certain denizen known as Champ, or Champy, if you prefer. Champ has been sighted 300 times or more since the early 19th century. Some sources claim that that number is closer to 400. And nowadays, Champ is everywhere. A cute logo, a souvenir stand, a plesiosaur-like cartoon smiling at you from the sign of a local car wash. But many claim that Champ is truly in the lake, too, and that there are hundreds, or even thousands of years of sightings to back that up. As the official Lake Champlain website points out, 
Indigenous American history dates back much farther than that, with Abenaki and other tribes telling stories featuring, quote, a large creature inhabiting the lake, which looked like a large horned serpent or a giant snake. Now, let's talk about this. Where exactly is Lake Champlain? Well, according to the Adirondacks tourist website, it sits in the Champlain Valley, between, quote, the Adirondack Mountains of New York and the Green Mountains of Vermont, and is associated with New York, Vermont, and Quebec across its 125-mile stretch. Although Champ is certainly tied to all the regions that encompass the Lake Champlain area, Vermonters lay a special claim to this cryptid. After all, their minor league baseball team is named for him. Then again, per its official materials, Port Henry, New York, home to many Champ sightings, hosts its very own Champ Day each August. So, you might say, Champ is of the people. Champ transcends boundaries. And apparently, Champ is also polite enough to pop up at regular intervals. And what about Champ's alleged home? Lake Champlain is a freshwater lake. Glacial, if you want to get specific. And, per its official website, it's an average of 64 feet deep, though some spots are as deep as 400. Of particular note, for our purposes, is that the lake's official material claims that, quote, Lake Champlain is home to the oldest known fossil reef in the world, 450 to 480 million years old. And the lake is full of life. There are 90 or so species of fish, at least. Seems like the perfect setting for an interesting species to pop up, or one to hide, for a few millennia. Now, we will not say that this lake was discovered, as it was most certainly already there, but it was come upon, as far as we know, by one Samuel de Champlain during his travels in the region. And yes, dear strangers, the lake was named for him too. Many people have given de Champlain credit for the first sighting of Champ by a European explorer, some sources stating that he saw a great serpent or some such in the lake. But that actually gets a little sticky. As the Pomeroy Foundation points out, when one reviews de Champlain's diaries from 1609, it seems that things were a lot more mundane. Apparently, quote, the French journals reveal that he actually was describing the garpike shown to him by his indigenous guides. And what exactly is a garpike? Well, strangers, it is a very, very big fish, specifically a long-nosed gar per the foundation, which they describe as, quote, over six feet long with silver-gray scales and a long snout filled with teeth. We can imagine that Deschamps' fantastic description could strike a more modern reader as, well, fantastic. And if that was the end of it, we'd have a very short episode for you. Man sees fish. What a time had by all. But Deschamps' diaries are hardly the beginning or the end of the historic and modern sightings especially beginning in the 19th century and all the way up until today there have been reports varying in description of a creature residing in the waters of the glacial lake sometimes it pops up in canada or in the united states 
You cannot expect a fantastic beast to be restrained by something so mundane as what amounts to a property line. Now, Champ's precise description has not always remained consistent. If we may be frank, these descriptions never do. And it is often described as a snake-like creature, or sometimes something close to a plesiosaur, or even occasionally a fish of concerning size. But it's the sheer number of sightings and the scientific interest that has really struck our fancy. After all, how many cryptids out there can claim that a scientific name has been proposed for them? We wager not many. In Champ's case, it's a term that we can find absolutely no pronouncer for, but we're gonna take our best shot. Champotanistrophus americanus, a category the Post-Star reports was coined by a local nonprofit. I'm sure you've heard the old adage that you should learn something new every day. It's good advice, but with so much to do, are you making time to learn and stay curious about our world? Well, with Everything Everywhere Daily, you can easily make that goal a reality. Everything Everywhere Daily is one of the world's most popular daily education podcasts. In about 10 minutes, you can learn something new every day. The show covers history, science, geography, mathematics, and technology, as well as biographies from some of the world's most interesting people. One listener says the show truly makes my day more enjoyable and entertaining. Fans of the show are so passionate, they even work to join the Completionist Club, the group of dedicated listeners who've listened to all 900-plus and counting episodes. I highly recommend you check out Everything Everywhere Daily's recent episodes on Why Are There No Flying Cars? and The Little Ice Age That Happened 700 Years Ago. Learn something new every single day with Everything Everywhere Daily. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Looking for creepy stories? Then we might have a podcast for you. And now, presenting Rattled and Shook. Rattled and Shook is a weekly podcast that features new scary stories every episode. Kind of like this. I would hear her say things to me inside my head. I couldn't get around him. I was trapped. The other guy started to get pretty agitated. He grabbed my grandfather's oxygen hose and he cut off his oxygen. Then I started thinking, well, you know, who would be hanging around in this nowhere forest, in this nowhere area? And that's when I started looking more closely. And that's when I noticed there were several shapes. And they were slowly working their way toward me as they were moving from tree to tree. New episodes of Rattled and Shook are out every Thursday. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered what it feels like to be attacked by an alligator? Or what goes through one's mind as they're stranded in a snowstorm? What Was That Like is the podcast for you. Real people come on every episode to explain the unbelievable situations they've been through. Guests share how they really felt during their most surreal experiences. They tell us what they did the morning before an earthquake, how it feels to win The Price is Right, and all sorts of details that you'd never learn anywhere else. If you're interested in hearing disturbing and inspiring first-hand stories, What Was That Like is the podcast you've been looking for. 
Every story is thoroughly researched and fact-checked, so you know that even the most unrealistic are someone's reality. Listen to What Was That Like? wherever you get your podcasts. According to Robert E. Bartholomew's book, The Untold Story of Champ, the 19th century's first recorded sighting came courtesy of one Captain Crumb, who reported this experience via letter to the Plattsburgh Republican, now a paper known as the Press Republican. The captain, who'd been near Port Henry in New York, explained that he'd been piloting a small scow, replete with passengers, when he saw something that, quote, must be a relation of the great sea serpent, indicating, of course, that the captain was well aware, even in 1819, that the lake was purported to have such a denizen. His letter, per the Plattsburgh Republican, included some striking descriptions. From a few hundred yards away, he noted an unusual undulation of the surface of the water, which was followed by the appearance of a monster rearing its head more than 15 feet and moving with the utmost velocity. He recalled the creature seemed to be in pursuit of a group of large fish. The captain described the creature as 187 feet long with its flat head, with three teeth, two in the center and one in the upper jaw. The comparisons he used for its size are not very helpful for us. Like a body the size of a hogshead, which is for some reason a type of barrel, and haunches like potash barrels, whoopee, another barrel. But we think that everyone can imagine the eyes that he described as large and the color of a peeled onion. The creature eventually disappeared under the water, but left onlookers with quite a story to tell. Now, about this story. Author Robert E. Bartholomew poses a few fair questions about the sighting, including how Captain Crumb came up with such a precise size estimation at 200 yards. And he even wonders why the Plattsburgh Republican didn't bother to get the captain's first name. And he asks why, since it was such an arresting story, they ran it on page two. Nevertheless, this story was printed, and it has circulated ever since. And according to the Pomeroy Foundation, the Port Henry area has since become a very popular place for champ sightings. So, maybe the mysterious Captain Crumb wasn't so far off after all. Author Robert E. Bartholomew mentions another notable sighting, this time in 1823, on the Vermont shore of the lake. This time, it was two fishermen who claimed they'd actually seen a, quote, 30-foot-long creature emerge from a cave, not unlike a snake emerging from a den, and that it had advanced on them. Of particular note was that this, whatever it was, left a trail on the ground. Whether they meant in the actual dirt or sand or something more slug-like, we aren't sure. And if that's not odd enough, the fishermen noted that a musky, snake-like smell hung in the air. We aren't sure what that is, but we'll take their word for it. We assume snake lovers will be familiar. It seems that some years passed before the serpent, who was not yet known as Champ, but is already so in our hearts, popped back up in the public record. In 1873, the Chicago Evening Post reprinted a very credulous story from the New York Times, describing an ongoing investigation into a particularly impressive Champ sighting. Per the Post, 
This story's, quote, authenticity was confirmed. How exactly, we aren't sure, but we suspect that lay in the fact that, as the reporter goes on to note, quote, the monster had been seen at intervals by men whose veracity is unquestioned. The Post describes the Lake Champlain area as home to, quote, bayous, marshes, and caves, which, to be honest, kind of had us stumped for a while because we thought the South kind of had cornered the market on bayous. We spent some time Googling bayou and landed on swampy outlets and decided that was good enough for 1873, and definitely for the writer of this episode who has degrees in creative writing, not in swamp terminology. If this is incorrect, take it up with the Chicago Evening Post from 150 years ago. They are, no doubt, awaiting your correspondence. Anyway, the point the Post was making was that with all those hidey holes and wetlands, the Champlain area was a pretty good place for an alleged water serpent to hide. But apparently, it didn't hide all the time, because that year, there was a pretty terrific sighting. In July, a well-respected man, General David Barrett, claimed to have sighted a monstrous serpent in the lake. Per the post, he was relaxing on his dock when he noticed a head, quote, sticking out of the water. The general, being a general, quote, ran back for his gun, but by the time he returned, it was gone. His son and a friend apparently decided that they should try and give chase and claimed that they caught sight of a creature making its escape. Quote, a huge reptile dragging his immense length across the tall grass of the marsh. They claimed this creature had a turtle in its jaws. Though the young men tried to take it down, they said it escaped into the lake. They estimated it was, quote, 30 to 40 feet in length. Once that story was printed, another local group came forward to say they'd had a sighting at almost the same time, but this time directly in the water. According to the Post, quote, a party of fishermen observed a great commotion in the water of the lake as something arose about four feet, which they thought at the time was an enormous turtle. But after the sighting by the general, they realized, they told reporters, it must have been the serpent. Strangers, we must note that the reporting of these facts is deadly serious, with a warning that the workers on the railway, then being constructed, must absolutely not venture toward the lake, lest they be gobbled up, quote, to satiate the great serpent. As an aside, this was followed by an equally long column about a belligerent horse. Really, strangers, from a reporting angle, that day in the news was quite a ride. Moving on, in the late 1880s, the infamous circus tycoon P.T. Barnum got involved, because of course he did. According to the Boston Globe, who were kind enough to title their article, P.T. Barnum nosing around Lake Champlain, in August of 1887, Barnum announced that he was willing to pay $20,000, that's nearly $650,000 today, to anyone who would bring him champ. That is, of course, as long as the serpent was at least 50 feet long. Apparently, anything less was simply not impressive enough for his show. Barnum told the Globe that he was certain that such a creature existed, 
someone just needed to actually go to the trouble of catching it. Scientific men say there must be such a creature, and legal gentlemen, accustomed to the weight of such testimony, say the evidence of existence is overwhelming. I think when they make a systematic search with boats and Gatling guns and know there's 20,000 backing up their guns, that there will be no trouble in getting the creature. I want the first one, but of course, if they get too common, I wouldn't give much for them. This was, of course, quite exciting news, particularly since there had already been, quote, several sightings that year. But, as it will probably not surprise you to discover, neither Champ nor any other serpents of unusual size were captured, and Barnum's bounty went unclaimed. In the 20th century, Champ's legend didn't slow down. He did get a nickname, and thanks to the popularity of the Loch Ness Monster over in Scotland, we'd argue he became more associated with the plesiosaur in pop culture, though local sightings had always been much more serpentine. In 1986, Yankee Magazine interviewed a man named Joseph Zarzinski, who could mildly be called a champ enthusiast. He founded the Lake Champlain Phenomena Investigation Group, published a newsletter about champ, had written a book on the subject, and declared his fascination with what he called USOs, or Unidentified Swimming Objects. By 1986, he'd tracked down over 200 sightings of the Lake Champlain creature. And as he told Yankee Magazine, some were, as they termed it, whimsical, such as Champ being about, quote, 50 feet long with a flowing red mane, dinner plate eyes, moose-like antlers, and elephant ears. But, as the magazine writes, most were quite uniform. They described, quote, that a large majority seemed to be describing the same sort of animal, a snake-like body, 25 to 30 feet long, with two or three humps showing above the waterline, black or dark brown or green or gray in color. Those sightings' consistency is very interesting to us, although it is a little different than what is perhaps the most well-known champ sighting to date. That famous champ sighting, it's not remarkable because it's the most detailed, but because it purports to be backed up by photographic evidence. Per NewEngland.com, that picture was taken by Sandra Mancy, a vacationer from Connecticut in 1977. She'd been outside with her children when she saw something on the lake. Something very strange. In an interview with the Burlington Free Press, Sandra explained that, I think I saw some kind of dinosaur that day. It wasn't a fish. No fish can hold itself up six or eight feet out of the water. She had time to snap that famous picture with her Kodak Instamatic camera, capturing what the press describes as, quote, blurry, but definitely showing something serpent-like floating on the surface of the lake. But there was something odd about Sandra's story. Though she took the photo in 1977, she did not release it until 1981. Why, there was no truly satisfying answer forthcoming, and that did make people suspicious. And though the photo made quite a splash, the picture is about the quality of the famous photo of Nessie from Loch Ness. In fact, it was very reminiscent of that photo. 
people couldn't help but make comparisons. Per PBS, the Nessie photo in question was taken by Robert Wilson in 1934 and was considered to be very credible, not least because the photographer was a respected surgeon who, quote, few believed could be party to deception. And it remained the best evidence of Nessie for 60 years, until it was thoroughly debunked in 1994. It's a bit of a convoluted story, but apparently an associate of Wilson had involved himself in a scheme to get revenge on the Daily Mail, the tabloid UK newspaper, for something called, unbelievably, the Hippo Feet Affair that we simply do not have time to get into. The short version is, several folks worked together to concoct a fake Nessie out of a toy submarine, some plastic and some wood, did some photocropping, and there you have it. Of course, the skeptical eye was also turned to Sandra's photo of Champ, who had been locally famous before Nessie ever made her big splash. And the photo was, as the Burlington Free Press explained, carefully examined by the University of Arizona's Optical Sciences Center, a state-of-the-art facility. And that should have been that for poor Sandra's photo. After all, we do know how these things go, except for one strange thing. The experts could find no evidence of deception. The photo had not been tampered with in any way, and the examination yielded no other evidence of deception. Now, of course, they could not say what they were looking at, but it seemed clear that she hadn't simply tossed a head on a submarine and called it a day. And in the years since, there has been more photo and video footage of Champ. In 2005, two fishermen captured video of something mysterious in the water, quote, that moved in a serpentine manner, leaving a sizable wake. They did not claim it was a monster, but they didn't know what they'd seen. A log? An ancient serpent? A giant fish? Those who watched that video described, quote, the digital recordings clearly show something of significant size moving just under the surface. It does not appear to be a boat wake or school of fish, in one frame, it almost looks as if the head of an alligator-like animal breaks the surface, the setting sun reflecting off what could be an eye. And strangers, the sightings continue to this day, video and photos included, as do the possible explanations. And for the champ non-believers, everything from shadow patterns on the water to the ever-present giant fish have been up for grabs. And Lake Champlain does actually host some big fish, but those logical explanations just don't feel satisfying to Champ's biggest fans. According to NewEngland.com, echolocation was actually detected in the lake back in 2003. And this created quite a stir, because theoretically, the only animals who should be able to produce it are, quote, dolphins, porpoises, and whales. The magazine quoted a researcher who explained that, quote, What we can say for sure is that there's a creature in the lake that produces biosonar. We have no idea what it is. Is there a possible explanation for that, too? Probably, 
but we'll leave that to the echolocation scientists to debate. For the enthusiasts, that kind of news has simply spurred on their belief and their need to protect whatever it is that lies beneath the surface of Lake Champlain. It was Joseph Zarzensky, the champ enthusiast, who seems to have been the driving force behind the most interesting and whimsical detail of this tale. According to Yankee Magazine, he seems to have inspired the first champ protection decree. Quote, In 1980, he persuaded the village of Port Henry, New York, to declare its adjoining waters off-limits to anyone seeking to harm or destroy lake monsters. By 1982, the state of New York had passed similar legislation, as had the Vermont House of Representatives. Joseph is humble about the effort, though he notes it took a lot of time at the typewriter and a lot of stamp licking. But he was successful. Champ, if it exists, is well protected in its glacier lake. And if you, the listener, are a particularly ardent champion, well, there was, according to the AP, a proposal for a specialty water conservation Vermont license plate featuring Champ back in 2018. Considering the lack of follow-up stories and the fact that it isn't present on their official DMV website, we have to assume that this was a bust, which we think is a real shame. If you wanted to show off your state, what better way than with a little cryptid flair? The Dover Demon could never. The Skunk Ape, not in a million years. But Champ? Champ is a natural. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers. From the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Strangers, I'm releasing my first book this October, and it's available everywhere now for pre-order as audio, hardcover, and ebook. It's called Lay Them to Rest, and it's about John and Jane Doe's, my years-long experience following forensic experts around the country, and our efforts to solve the mystery of a cold case. Pre-orders are a big factor in its success, so if you're interested, you can find a link in our show notes. There are exclusive bonuses available when you pre-order. One Strange Thing is an independently produced podcast. To support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, you now have three options to enjoy two extra bonus episodes a month. On Apple Premium and Supercast, you can get the bonus episodes delivered to your app of choice for just $2.99. And for two more dollars a month on Patreon, you'll get more fun extras. There you'll find ad-free early releases of our regular episodes, two full-length bonus episodes, monthly giveaways, blog posts, and occasional live streams, all for $5 a month. We hope you'll check out one of these two options to support the show. There's a link in the show notes. And if you enjoy One Strange Thing, please take a moment to leave us a great rating or review on your favorite podcast app. It really helps. Mm-hmm.